Welcome to Music and Medicine with Dr. Carl Wern. On the first Sunday of each month at this time, Dr. Wern soothes you with classical music and great ideas for living a more healthful life. Now, here is Music and Medicine with Dr. Wern. Welcome to November, the show of shows. We are going to be talking about two unique things today that's uniquely American. We're going to talk about the month of November where we celebrate the unique American democracy and we're going to celebrate also the unique phenomenon of Thanksgiving in the United States. We all vote, and we all should vote, in the uh, first few weeks of November. It's the second Tuesday of the month, to remind everybody. But we should also take pride in the fact that we are the oldest constitutional democracy in the history of the world. And despite all the problems we have had, we are still able to have a government that functions. We are able to live a life of such high quality, almost unknown in the history of man. To look around us in the world, we ought to take pride in this American democracy, even though it has faults and fissures and all kinds of um, nasty politics. Because if we look at England, we look at a country that also had democracy, a parliamentary form of democracy, but it's fallen apart. They've had two or three prime ministers in the last few years. The last one only lasted 44 days. If we look in France, we see tremendous political upheaval. If we look in Ukraine, which is a is a sort of a democracy, it's threatened by one of the most evil, tyrannical governments in the history of the world. So I think we should take pride in the fact that in November, we celebrate the amazing accomplishment of a democratic government has led us to being the most productive and creative society in the history of the world. I just like to make a point now, because the war in Ukraine has been going on for eight months, that terrible things are happening and they get worse every day as Putin is bombing civilian centers and trying to destroy the infrastructure of the uh, Ukrainian economy and government. And I'd like to say one or two things about Putin, who really is a um, demonic figure, who really is a um, natural succession to the tradition in Russia of tyrannical rule and um, despotism. I think that he is, in many ways, just a logical succession of the czars that ruled Russia for years, and he's a logical succession to the terrible Lenin-Stalin-Khrushchev reign that happened in the 20th century. I'd like to refer people to a fantastic book called Letters from Russia, by a Marquis de Custine, who was invited by the Tsar of Russia in the 1830s to visit Russia, sort of uh, show the world that the Russian nation, economy, and social structure was admirable. He looked to um, the Marquis de Custine, because the poor Marquis de Custine, who was a very wealthy ex-nobleman, who, who stayed wealthy because his mother was very uh, friendly with the uh, finance minister of Napoleon, Fouquet. And the Tsar of Russia thought that Marquis de Custine would be 
amenable to a uh, despotic society because his father, a marquis, had been guillotined by Robespierre in uh, 1789. After three or four months of travel and several weeks of intimate conversation with the Tsar and Tsarina, a book was written called Letters from Russia. It was a blistering critique of a society he felt that was totally slavery, natural human rights were driven into the ground, and people were slaves to the the czar, including the noblemen. Everybody deferred to this uh, czar who was cruel, inhuman, and disregarded basic human rights. And I think there's several quotations that the Marquis de Cuisine, Christine, made about Russia that are very applicable to today. And he said that, first of all, in my eyes, the worst of all weaknesses is that which renders a man pitiless and unmerciful. And I think that is a characteristic of the czars of Stalin, Lenin. Marquis de Cuisine was very careful, this aspect of uh, Russian society in the 1830s, that persists to this very day. The other statement that I think applies not only to Russian society, but all societies, is that the Marquis de Custine, even though he was former uh, member of the aristocracy, he said, I have one fixed political principle, is that men can, ought to be governed without being deceived. I think every American, if they want to learn about Russia and what a insightful philosopher, playwright, and man of letters from the 1830s and 1840s, they can learn a lot from reading Letters from Russia by Marquis de Custine. And I must say that the motivation for the Marquis to do this was also he wanted to follow in the steps of Alex de Tocqueville, who wrote a stunning book 20 years earlier, Democracy in America, which has been a, a very, very instructive historical document to chart the success of American democracy. This book when it came out, it was a bestseller in Europe, and it was banned in Russia then, and it is banned in Russia now. Now we're going to talk about American democracy and freedom, and we have a great classical music composition that's going to really celebrate democracy and freedom. And the overture, of course, is William Tell. William Tell was a 14th century figure. He was a huntsman. He came from the lower classes, but he really was put in a position where he realized that the Switzerland, which was uh, overrun by the Austrians, and there was a uh, despotic ruler of the Providence called Gessler, was harming, he was cruel and human, and he actually asked William Tell, when William Tell was captured, to uh, shoot an arrow to split an apple on his son's head, which he did successfully. Fortunately, at the end of the story of William Tell. William Tell is able to to, uh, take care of this uh, despotic figure, Gessler, and shoot an arrow through his heart. And this was the 39th and last opera of Rossini. It's a very long opera. It's over four hours long. It's so long, in fact, there was an admirer of Rossini who came up to him uh, the next day after he went to a night performance of William Tell, and he said to Rossini, Mr. Rossini, your opera was fantastic. And Rossini looked at him and said, you listened to the whole thing? So we're going to play the William Tell Overture, which is very close to me, and for several reasons. There's two reasons that the William Tell Overture, which is often played 
without the opera, because the opera is so long, and also early on the opera had some political ideas that were not accepted in Europe at the time that was ruled mainly by monarchs. It's particularly close to me because, first of all, it starts with a cello introduction. There's two cellos that start this beautiful overture, and I've played this in college with the Queen's Orchestral Association when I was assistant principal cello, and I've been very nervous and worried about performing this uh, solo for two cellos. Unfortunately, I was able to play without too many mistakes. The second thing is that the last portion of this overture, we all know, is, is the theme music for The Lone Ranger. I was born in 1948. The Lone Ranger was started in 1949 and lasted until 1957. And it was the best-rated uh, uh, television show for ABC in the history of the 1950s. It came in seven on the Nielsen rating in the first year or two that it was played. And it was an amazing series because it documented a lone ranger who wore a mask with a sidekick who was Tonto, who was actually played by a real Mohican Indian from Canada called Jay Silverheels. I missed the first two episodes because it was 1949. And so I didn't know until I prepared for this show that the origin for the name Lone Ranger was the fact that at the beginning of the movie, our hero is one of six Texas Rangers who are ambushed and killed. The evil gang that ambushes them thinks everybody has died. One of the rangers crawls, finally reaches some water, and Tonto the Indian finds him and nurses him back to health. And the, the, uh, the Lone Ranger asks for a mask uh, that's made from the clothes of his dead brother, who's also one of the Lone Rangers, and they dig six graves. The Lone Ranger wants to assume an anonymous path for the rest of his life, and so he uh, creates the sixth grave to um, prevent people from learning his true identity. And he then becomes the Lone Ranger with Tonto. So now we'll talk quickly and we'll end this long conversation about the William Tell Overture. And we'll play the William Tell Overture in its entirety. It starts off again with the slow introduction with two cellos playing solo to duet. And it'll end with the uh, march of the Swiss soldiers who have come to rescue Switzerland from the yoke of the Austrians, and that's the famous theme song for The Lone Ranger. Here we have the London Philharmonic playing the William Tell Overture.
We're going to get back to the theme of democracy now and make the important point that in the 18th century, monarchies ruled the world, whether it was France or England or Spain or Russia. People were under the yoke of monarchies and human rights were virtually non-existent. But thanks to the invention of the printing press, communication and philosophical discussions became easier, but also riskier. There were lots of spies everywhere, and often people wound up in court or they wound up with their heads around the noose for trying to talk about freedom and independence. It's very important that in the 1780s, during the Age of Enlightenment, that the philosophers, Voltaire and Rousseau, all the Montesquieu, all these famous French philosophers began to question the value of absolute power. And these philosophers in France, it was these wonderful progressive philosophers, Montesquieu, Voltaire, Rousseau, suggested that diffusing absolute power concentrated a monarch into a government structure where power was more balanced and not absolute was theoretically a much better way to have a successful, well-functioning government. Our founding fathers were listening. During an impressively hot and humid summer in 1787 in a meeting hall in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, the states met to consider suggestions on how to form a better government because the government under the Articles of Confederation that had succeeded the the Revolutionary War were not working out well. And I think to thank the, um, the French for their wonderful influence on America and also their help actually during the Revolutionary War, I'd like to play a French composition by a wonderful French composer called Couperin, uh, who came from a long line of family members who were famous composers. I am going to play a piece by the most eminent of the Couperins, though all of them were considered uh, very excellent composers and they worked under the uh, king and were employed by the king. I'm going to play uh, several pieces called uh, Pieces on Concierge by Francois Couperin that was originally written for uh, some strings and harpsichord and is an adaptation by Pablo Casals I recorded back in uh, 2007 and it's called Pieces in Concierge. It has five movements. This is Dr. Wern performing it with Ed Clark, my longtime accompanist from Connecticut. And now we will hear the wonderful composition by that fabulous French composer who wrote during the early 18th century in concert for cello and harpsichord.
I really enjoyed performing and recording this piece. I've played it many times in public, and I recorded this pieces in concierge in that wonderful congregational church in uh, Farmington, Connecticut, that was built in 1772, around the time that Couperin was still alive. I'd like to introduce our next piece as a an example of a wonderful piece by a modern composer, Paul Hindemith, who had to flee Nazi Germany in the 1930s. And he came to the United States and he became a composer in residence at Yale. He was a fabulous uh, viola player. He played trios with the most eminent artists in the world, including Pablo Casals and Yasha Heifetz. I like to play a piece called Three Easy Pieces. Democracy is not easy, but I think listening to this piece gives us an idea how wonderfully it easy it seems that the United States has a functioning democracy. So now we will play the three movements of three easy pieces by that wonderful German composer, Paul Hindemith.
Today, we're going to make an exception and not talk about a topic in medicine. We're going to talk about the health of our nation. We've talked about American democracy during the first half of our program, and now let's get to the nuts and bolts of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving was not a national holiday for many, many years. It started out, actually, the first episode of Thanksgiving was in Virginia when the ship Margaret came in in 1618, 19, and they gave thanks for their successful voyage across the ocean. A lot of people think of the first Thanksgiving as when, in 1621, in Plymouth, Massachusetts, when the uh, settlers gave Thanksgiving to a good harvest, and they were joined by the Indians who had helped sustain them, the Nimaquag Indians, who were friendly with the settlers, mainly because they used the settlers to help them in their adversarial relationship with other tribes. So it wasn't all just um, being uh, generous and empathetic. They had a military alliance with the Plymouth settlers. And George Washington in 1789 declared a day of thanksgiving after the Constitution and the formation of the United States of America was made, that it, it became a national phenomenon, but it was not celebrated on a routine basis until Lincoln declared the day of Thanksgiving to be the last Thursday of the month in the 1860s. And finally, it wasn't until Franklin Delano Roosevelt designated a national holiday in 1939 and said it would be the second Thursday of the month. I think the other important thing about Thanksgiving that we should remember is that when we give Thanksgiving, it's not what we say about our blessings, but how we use them is the true measure of our Thanksgiving. I'd like to start out discussion of Thanksgiving and the greatness of America by using a song from Porgy and Bess by a great American composer, George Gershwin. And I'm certainly going to blend the theme from the early part of this show with this next part of the show by saying that democracy is an experiment in time, and it's still going on, and the success of democracy ain't necessarily so. And we're going to take a wonderful aria out of context and place it in the context of this show and have a wonderful recording of that great aria from Porgy and Bess by a great American composer, George Gershwin. It ain't necessarily so. It ain't necessarily so. It ain't necessarily so. The things that you're liable to read in the Bible, it ain't necessarily so. David was small, but oh my, little David was small, but oh my, he fought big Goliath, who lay low and dieth, little David was small, but oh my. Fishes abdomen, oh Jonah, he lived in the whale. A little Moses. 
Moses was found in a stream. Little Moses was found in a stream. He floated on water till old Pharaoh's daughter, she fished him, she says, from that stream. Yeah, it ain't necessarily so. It ain't necessarily so. The things that you're liable to read in the Bible, it ain't necessarily so. I'm preaching this sermon to show it ain't Nessa, ain't Nessa, ain't Nessa, ain't Nessa, ain't necessarily so. I love this recording by Paul Robeson because he was one of the great black singers who was able to succeed in a society that really excluded blacks from careers and success in life. And he was also a great proponent of freedom for all in the world. Now I would like to give you a little selection from another American composer, Dr. Carl. And we are going to play his etude in A minor. This is a wonderful piece that I recorded in uh, 2004. And the reason I'm playing this is that I had an album that I recorded in 2004, and I was working up in Cooperstown, New York, where the Baseball Hall of Fame is. So I was working in Cooperstown, that wonderful city which celebrates baseball. It has the Hall of Fame there, and every summer they have thousands of children coming to play baseball. I gave one of my recordings to this uh, other doctor who was an attending in medicine when he came in to see some of his patients and a week or two later I said how do you like the recording he says I like all the pieces he said but the last piece on your CD I like the best on my CD there's pieces there's the Bach Suites and well, the G major Bach Suite other pieces by Bach and Telemann and I was really uh, taken aback to think that uh, my piece on the CD he liked the best we're going to perform this piece it's called the Etude in A Minor. I think it's a uh, dramatic experiment in composing on the spot. I composed this piece. There's no written music for this. It was an exciting and daunting task for me, but I think it ended well. Here is the Etude in A Minor by Dr. Carl Wern, played by Dr. Carl Wern. Thank you. 
I hope you enjoyed this piece. I enjoyed uh, creating it and performing it. Before I end, I would like to give a tremendous uh, recognition of the unique qualities of Cooperstown. It not only has the Baseball Hall of Fame, but it also has a unique opportunity because of this uh, wonderful hospital, Mary Imogene Bassett, that was created because the girlfriend of Stephen Clark, who was the um, lawyer who helped patent the Singham sewing machine, developed immense wealth because of this. And he lived in Cooperstown. And when uh, Mary Imogene Bassett complained that her office and clinic was too busy, uh, Stephen Clark said, well, I'll build you a hospital. And it became an uh, incredibly effective hospital system. And I said, it's associated with Columbia. And in fact, when I was working there, Columbia third-year medical students are there. They have residencies in surgery and medicine. But one of the unique thing about the town is that you have an 80 average or above when you finish high school, you get a letter in the mail from the Clark Foundation. And until 2000, you had a free boat. Your tuition and your room and board was paid completely to private colleges, public colleges by Stephen Clark Foundation. And I worked with a PA who had gone to University of Rochester in the early 90s and her whole education, whole graduate education was paid for by Stephen Clark. Now I must point out that since the downturn in the economy of the late 1990s, they will only pay for a public institution. But it's still a fantastic place to live if you have a lot of children and your income is uh, not exactly what you want it to be. And now I'd like to go back to the great uh, American composers, talk about George Gershwin and his wonderful composition, Rhapsody in Blue, that was one of the great creations of the 1930s and is for piano and orchestra. And I know it well for a lot of reasons. I've heard it many times. My accompanist, Susan Walters, who plays with the New York City Ballet, there was a benefit concert for the New York City Ballet. And Susan Walters played this piece with the New York City Ballet Orchestra, and it was fantastic and impressed upon me how great this composition was, and it should be played for all to hear. That's performed by another great American composer, Leonard Bernstein, and he is going to be playing this with the Columbia Symphony Orchestra. This is a great example of a great composer playing another great composer's composition. Now we have The Rhapsody in Blue by George Gershwin.
This program has been devoted to the greatness of Americana in its ability to produce a truly long-lasting and great American democratic society. And I'm going to feature another great creation of American society, which is jazz. Jazz is a creation of the wonderful traditions in the South. It started out with the slaves who sang to keep their spirits up, eventually morphed into a great tradition that slowly made its way north as a lot of the great southern jazz musicians migrated to Chicago in the Depression and the early 1930s. I am going to pay tribute to one of the great jazz musicians of all time, John Lee Hooker, who uh, spanned basically the whole 20th century, came into great prominence in the 1950s and 1960s. I'm going to play two selections by John Lee Hooker, a great guitarist, a great singer, and one of the great jazz performers of all time. Jazz was created in the United States, the idea of a blue note, which is part of jazz, and there's a famous club in New York, the blue note, but a blue note is a note with indeterminate pitch. Its pitch wavers back and forth and creates some of the wonderful feeling of freedom and independence and improvisation in the music that we call jazz. Now I'm going to have John Lee Hooker sing a song called One Bourbon, One Scotch, and One Beer. One bourbon, one scotch, and one beer. I say, hey, Mr. Bartender, come here. I want another drink, and I want it now. My baby, she's gone, she's back. I was drinking 
gemstone and dupid dupid get a dizzy in the head and after a while I looked on the wall again and by that time last call for alcohol and then I looked down the bar at the bartender I said hey Mr. Bartender what do you want this time We've come to the end of this wonderful program that is celebrating America, its democracy, and its traditions. Julian Kadish, who's an MD-PhD, who has just done a marvelous essay on the importance and the creation of the amendments to the Constitution of the United States. And he opens up with a wonderful paragraph that I think is appropriate for all of us to listen to on this day of commemoration of our country's history. Freedom is a core concept in our country and was central in the framing of our Constitution. We grew up, myself, Julian, and and my other classmates at NYU Medical School during the years following World War II, and I often heard that freedom was coupled with another word, duty. Duty was not a simple thing. It was many things. It included duty to family, duty to your community, duty to your country, and above all, duty to defend and protect the democratic republic the Founding Fathers had established with the writing and adoption of the Constitution. So it came as no surprise to me and my friends when President John F. Kennedy declared in his inaugural address, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. That simple phrase resonated across the United States and created an atmosphere in which people felt they were blessed to live in the greatest nation that has ever been created on the earth. As a people, both working together and as individuals, we can achieve virtually anything that is possible. This is Dr. Carl Wern. See you next time on Music and Medicine. You have been listening to Music and Medicine with Dr. Carl Wern. Join us again at 5 p.m. on the first Sunday of every month right here on WRAX 106.5 FM. If you would like to hear the program again, visit BedfordCountyRadio.com, Facebook, or find it on your favorite podcast, including Spotify, Google, Amazon, or Apple. See you next time on Music and Medicine.